Hi, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, here to let you know about a new and innovative theater major, the BA in Theater and Business Arts at the University of Providence. Get the education and experience you need as a theater artist and the business acumen to succeed in your career. Visit broadwaybullet.com and stay tuned to the end of the program for more info. Now, enjoy the show. Center, it sounds very huge and elevated, and that's what it feels like. Like once you're working there, because rent is about much more than just friendship, love, and musical theater. It was about something that shook musical theater. People are becoming more and more comfortable with you know issues of people being different. I mean, we do it all. I mean, you know, we don't we don't back away from anything. Welcome to Broadway Bullet, Volume 223. I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and, uh, well, happy Thanksgiving. Um, I have been sick most of the time between the last episode and this one, so unfortunately I didn't have a lot of time to get a lot of interviews, but we do have something. We do have two interviews to go up. We've got Cleveland Award-winning composer Joe Iconis here with director... Uh, John Simpkins, who's been on the show a few times before, to talk about their new show, Rewrite, as well as uh, cabaret show, Things to Ruin, and Joe performs live on the show. Uh, Great song, got to stick around for the second one, Nerd Love is Fantastic. Um, And then we also have Theater the Expendable here to talk about their new production of Three Sisters by Anton Chekhov, and we get into discussions about... um, Various translations and cultural differences, uh, making translations difficult, etc. So uh, we do have a little bit of fun for you today. And uh, we'll be back in the second Thursday of December with more. Uh, In the meantime, here we go with the show. On the Boards. Rewrite is a musical comedy triple feature, three short musicals, written by Cleveland Award-winning composer Joe Iconis. And Joe Iconis is joining us here in the studio to talk about the show as well as perform a couple numbers, along with the director, uh, somebody who I haven't seen now for about a, a year, I guess it's been, John Simpkins, making your fourth appearance on the show. How always, you always nice to be here. Thanks for having us. You want to just introduce yourselves quickly so people can connect the voice with your name? Absolutely, yeah. I'm uh, I'm Joe Iconis. Hello, people. This is my voice. <laughs> John Simpkins, I'm directing the piece. All right, we'll start off kind of with uh, the basic nuts and bolts. Uh, besides being a, a musical comedy triple feature, what is Rewrite? Rewrite is um, it's a show that, that 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 sort of deals with time. It's uh, it's made up of three three short musicals, and all of the musicals are sort of about deadlines and like deadlines that. Um, we kind of impose on ourselves and about living up to living up to the the expectations that we create for ourselves and what other people create. Um, By short musical, do you mean ninety minutes? They're that's like short they're, they're each about. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> they're very short musicals. Yeah, this shows, it's only ninety minutes. Right. All right, shows like yeah, six hours long. It's like the coast of Utopia, but all together in one night. It's impossible to sit through. Um, no, it's like each musical is about a half an hour, half an hour long, and there are three three separate musicals um, that that I feel like uh, I feel like they can only be performed be performed together you know I think it's like a full night full night of theater where you're getting three different ones but by the end they're all sort of about about the same thing um, yeah I think it's the best the best deal in town man you get three musicals for the price of one <laughs> I also think the, the the show deals with kind of the way that people perceive expectations that everybody puts on you in life and mm-hmm. and I think if there's a if there's a message that we would hope to get across it's that uh, in this particular instance uh, live your life instead of just be a bystander in it all right. Now, I've also got a postcard here slapped on my desk for something else going on, uh, which is Things to Ruin the Songs of Joe Iconis. So is this like a busy time period? It is, yeah. It's a very busy time. It's it's uh, it's funny because I feel like uh, you sort of go through periods in, in the theater where you're just sort of doing nothing and, and kind of waiting waiting for something to happen, and then it's like the ultimate when it rains it pours kind of scenario. So we have a bunch of stuff going on now. We have the rewrite show and this Things to Ruin, which is um, it's a show that we're doing at The Zipper. And it's uh, we've been calling it a theatrical rock concert, and it's essentially a, a, a night of my songs performed um, in a in a theatrical context. It's kind of like a song cycle, but not really. 
No, because um, Song Cycle sounds gross. Song Cycle <laughs> sounds gross and boring and lame. And song Cycle is to musical theater what concept album. Yeah, right, 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 right. <laughs> precisely. And we do not, we do not want that. It's like, a, yeah, it's like every song cycle you've ever seen except good and not boring. That's, right. <laughs> that's essentially what it is. It's like it's almost like a rock concert that's told in a theatrical construct. So you feel by the end of the show that you're that the, that you're somehow theatrically fulfilled by the people and you've met them mm-hmm. as characters as mm-hmm. well as as uh, as humans, yeah. which is nice. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, I'm guessing that maybe one of the best ways to kind of get across who you are as a writer is to maybe uh, play a number. Yeah, so for sure. I'd love to. Do you, do you want to tell us about this first number you're going to perform? Um, yeah. So this first number that I'm I'm going to perform is uh, it's a tune from Things to Ruin, and it's um it's called called the War Song, and uh, yeah, that's it. I think it's pretty self-explanatory. All right. Well, just hop onto the piano there. My mom don't notice me My girlfriend says I'm immature Ain't got no future plans And I'm sick of minivans So I'm going to war My pharmacist knows me by name And it seems Nirvana's no longer on tour Yeah, yeah, yeah I don't have a skill to give But you, you don't need no will to live When you're going to war I don't care where or when I don't have any patriotic passion or national raid. Wanna take a cool picture of me with an Uzi and post it on my Facebook profile page. Yeah, yeah. The suburbs brand me as a freak, cause my nails are. Show the world I got a spine, but school shootings are so 99. So I'm a go into war. I don't care if my converse get all bloody after I slice up an Iranian with my big ass knife. I mean. I don't really want to kill anybody But it's nice to think that I've got the potential to affect a person's life Yes, I can Oh, so on graduation day I'm gonna make my getaway And sign up at the booth outside the How big of a supporter are you of the war in Iraq? <laughs> <laughs> huge, huge supporter. Obviously, it's a great, it's a great war. Uh, well, I'm told him it's going to take Obama still 18 months to pull troops out, so you maybe still got a little time. <laughs> yeah, I still got a little time. <laughs> a little mileage out of that. Song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm a huge, huge Republican, biggest Republican in the business. That's what they said about me. I'm, I'm only kidding. I don't. 
I don't like anybody. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, all that craziness. Did you hear about that guy who resigned over because he supported the Proposition 8 in California? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Reverse discrimination. It's great. It's, yeah, it's, it's like we get, we're used to the Republicans always like knocking us down, but nah. you know, go against the gays in the musical theater world in California. <laughs> you can't, you can't, man. Imp- impossible, mm. impossible. Um, yeah. Well, they have a lot of they, gay people have a lot of uh, time on their hands because uh, they they don't spend any time planning weddings, so they can of course get upset about it. <laughs> they're not allowed. All right, so moving back to your, <laughs> moving back to your shows, John. How did you end up getting in? Are you involved with both the the uh, things to ruin as well as rewrite? I am. Or? Yeah, Joe. Joe and I have been working together a lot the last couple of years. Yeah, because so. I noticed you, even though it wasn't part of rewrite, you just whipped out his lyrics. Certainly, <laughs> <laughs> certainly. We've actually been working on things to ruin for a couple of years, and uh, and feel really kind of lucky that it's um, yeah that yeah. it seems to have a chance to kind of cr- crawl up out of the ground a little bit and and have people come to see it. So. The Zipper, folks. The Zipper. <laughs> Thanks to Ruin. But also, and how did you get involved together, working together? Uh, we, we actually met each other almost 10 years ago, I yeah. guess it's been, yeah. down at uh, NYU. I teach there part-time and, and uh, was at the time um, a master's student while Joe was an undergrad student. And we just kind of, we, we actually worked on a production of Godspell together. I directed and he musical directed. Mm-hmm. And so just kind of has, have kept in touch since then as, as he had projects come along. We just started working together and it's been, a, it's been an awesome collaboration. Yeah. yeah, it's been great. Actually, I should probably quick mention the last time you were on, you were talking about the Steinhardt program. Certainly. And uh, considering that there's probably a lot of students out there looking for their college choices for maybe next fall, they can go back and check out that interview about your great program. You got it. You got it. We talked about Floyd Collins, I think, yeah. last time. Yeah. <laughs> so steinhardt.nyu.edu. Mm-hmm. There it is. Yeah. And uh, this little Kleban Award thing, uh, mm-hmm. how, how did that happen? It's, um, <laughs> it's <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what happened. It's, um, it's, a, it's an award for, for lyricists, for musical theater, musical theater lyricists. And it's given, um, it, it's given in the name of the, the dude who wrote the lyrics for a chorus line. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's crazy. There's a couple sort of musical theater writing prizes that are out there. And uh, you just sort of, you know, send your stuff in and... and Cross your fingers and hope for the best, and yeah, I won this award, and it's it's pretty pretty phenomenal, and it's sort of allowed me to uh, to live for the past couple of years, live and write as opposed to live and also work at Barnes and Noble. Yeah, there's a pretty decent uh, <laughs> there's a pretty decent you know uh, cash prize associated with this, isn't there? There is, yeah, yeah. It's a pretty it's a pretty large it's a pretty large cash cash prize. It's it's large enough that um, I found out that I won it as I was at a diner with some people, and um, it's the sort of prize that once if you find out that you win it when you're at a, a diner with some people, you can't not pay for the meal. <laughs> it's like that. <laughs> that size of prize. So, um, yeah, but it's been it's been pretty incredible. It was very, very nice. And it was a huge, huge honor, too. My favorite part about that, though, is um, there was, like, sort of a fancy ceremony, and my whole family came and stuff. And... Uh, <laughs> And, um, and eat up the whole prize money with their staying in the hotel. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course, of course naturally. Um, but Maury, Maury Yeston uh, is because it's through through sort of BMI, and Maury Yeston was the uh, the master of ceremonies of this uh, this award ceremony, and he clearly didn't um, didn't know me at all. And he all the information that he he got about me was taken from my website, which is essentially just a website full of lies about me. <laughs> so he kind of announced this room full of people. They're like Joe. Uh, Joe in the in the spring will be uh, marrying his girlfriend Jenna Fisher of NBC's The Office, and uh, he just finished writing Jurassic Park the musical. And everyone was like, "Ooh, ooh it's amazing!" Um, so that was that was my favorite part of winning the Cleveland Award. <laughs> and the cash was nice too. Both, kind both of things. goes along with the, with the tone of your songs, I, I guess. Yes, yes, I think so. I think so. Speaking of that, you ready to perform another number here for us? Yeah, man, let's do it. Yeah. Any, any uh, setup needed for this? Yeah, I'll, I'll, set, I'll set this one up a little a little bit better. My setup for the other one was amazing, I thought. It's self-explanatory. <laughs> <laughs> um, this one, this, this tune is, uh, it's, uh, a bit of it is featured in, uh, in Rewrite, the show at Urban Stages. And, uh, yeah, it's just about... Um, it's about it's about a, a nerd. It is a tune about uh, about a nerd. <laughs> All right, ready to play? <laughs> ready, man. Hey, 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 nerd girl, don't be shy. Don't try to hide that lazy eye. I don't care about the acne on your face. And I got the same William Shatner T-shirt 
in the closet back at my place. Cause nothing gets me hot like Star Trek Baby, that space shit is sexy as hell Just the sight of a triple or a Klingon Bring on notions of emotions too blue to tell Yeah, 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 yeah Nothing gets me hot like Star Trek Baby, come on! Give me nerd love, give me Wanna geek out to you Hey nerd girl, listen please Don't you try to disguise that nervous wheeze It don't deter me a bit In fact, I'm digging on it Because nothing's quite as rad as asthma <gasps> Baby, it's as cool as lung disorders can be yeah, there's something kind of criminal about taking hits off an inhaler that appeals to the bad boy in me. Yeah, 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 nothing's quite as right as asthma. Oh, baby, come on. Give me nerd love, give me, give me nerd love, give me nerd love. I'm about to freak, gonna geek, wanna geek. Out to you, ah, oh, Scotty, Scotty, beam me up now. Nothing gets me off like nerd girls, baby, baby, baby. I just got to admit, sure, Daphne had the tits and the hair, but that don't compare to Velma's acerbic wit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nothing gets me hot like nerd girls, baby. Come on. Give me nerd love. Give me, give me the nerd love. Give me nerd love. Cause you're pretty and you're neat. And I think it would be sweet if we could hang together. You and me together. Yeah, yeah. Give me nerd love. Give me, give me nerd love. Give me nerd love. Cause nothing gets me hot like Star Trek, baby. Nothing's quite as right as asthma, oh, baby And nothing gets me off like nerd girls Mama, come on, come on, come on, come on I, I've got a friend who pretty much defines the, the term hot nerd girl oh, yeah. <laughs> Make sure he hears that song mm -hmm, Actually, good... you, you hear her voice on the program almost every week She's, you know, doing all those, you know, segment introductions Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> oh, that's awesome Well, hey Hey, nerd hey, girl. Hey, nerd girl. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be shy. Yeah. So, um, back to uh, Things to Ruin. It's at Urban Stages. Or, no, sorry, not Things to Ruin. Uh, rewrite. Mm -hmm. rewrite. Is at Urban Stages. Yes. And how yes. long has this been in development? This has been, uh, it's sort of an unusual un unusual story. When I was at, I went to the NYU uh, Musical Theater Writing Program. It's a graduate program at Tisch. And uh, as part of one of the assignments, there was to write a short musical. So I wrote this short musical called uh, Nelson Rocks, which is about, um, about a nerd who uh, is asking Jenny Vecarelli to the prom. And uh, he gets three chances to ask her because he's obsessed with, with video games. So he gets three, three chances. And we, we sort of see the same scenario played out three times. So it was this little, little musical that I wrote, and I was kind of liked it, but I didn't know what to do with it. And I thought because of the structure, it would be weird to expand it further. So um, la last summer, I was kind of sitting around, and uh, I felt like I wanted, wanted to do something with this, this Nelson Rocks show. Um, and I was like, ah, you know what, I'll just do, I'll do a concert of, of short musicals. So I figured I'd write two more short musicals to go, go with this one. And uh, I, 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 would, I thought, ah, I'll do it at Ars Nova, which is a theater that I'm the composer in residence at, and I've done a bunch of shows there. And uh, so I, I called up Ars Nova, and I was like, hey, I have this, this show. I sort of pretended that I had written it already, and I have the show of three short <laughs> musicals. Can, um, can I just do it there one night? And they were like, yeah, sure. And they gave me a date. And then I was like, ah, I got, got a date. I better actually write the show. So um, I, I wrote these other two musicals, and I was really kind of hellbent when I first started about not, 
not writing musicals that could fit together. And I was just like, ah, I'm just going to write write this evening. It's going to be a concert. It's going to be three shows that have nothing to do with any nothing to do with one another. And I always feel like like shows that are made up of small musicals are always kind of um, just kind of like gross. And it's like, oh gee, I wonder how these characters will fit into each other. You know, and it's just it's like a horrible, horrible idea. And then of course, as I started writing it, um, I did exactly what I set out not to do and I, I started connecting the three shows and by the end of it it just it the idea of having any of the shows exist separately just uh, became a preposterous preposterous thing so um, I, I called Simpkins and we just kind of did it in workshop form at Ars Nova and it was like a one night only event and uh, that was that was it and it was a, a show that I had always uh, really loved and wanted the chance to work on again and uh, I thought about it a lot over the past year but never really had an opportunity to work on it and then this uh, this slot at Urban Stages kind of presented itself and we just sort of jumped on it and, yeah yeah I think we were always kind of like everybody is when they when you when you write something and get a chance to see it one time you always want to you learn so much from it want to get back in the room and work on it right all right I think we're so grateful to Urban Stages and and Sarah Katz for the chance to to be able to get in the room and oh and God, do it yeah. again and yeah. and do it with a real a, a real cast and mm-hmm. and some real scenery and yeah tell us about the cast a little bit. Um, the the cast is I'm I'm really excited about the cast the cast is made up of uh, of uh, all actors that I've I've worked with before and I, I sort of have. I do a lot of a lot of performances. I've done a lot of shows and stuff, and I kind of have this family of actors that I love that I sort of return to time and again, and I, I write for, and it kind of feels like a, a bizarre sort of uh, familial theater troupe. And um, the cast is all 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 my guys. It's great. There's no like forced forced in Broadway fake star, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. Um, so we have uh, we have Jason Sweet Tooth Williams. Uh, in it, who's my favorite actor in the whole world, uh, Lorinda Lasitza, who's a really, really great character actress with uh, a fantastic head of red hair, uh, Lauren Marcus, who is in a show that John Simpkins and I did uh, at the Lortel this summer called The Plant That Ate Dirty Socks, A.J. Shively, also in that show, and uh, Badia Farah, uh, who is in that Sister Act musical yep. um, that Alan, Alan Mankin fellow wrote. And is producing in London or something? Yeah. I just heard. With yeah. Whoopi Goldberg. With Whoopi yeah. Goldberg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. In it, she's Goldberg. producing. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoopi Goldberg is producing right. Sister Act, which is funny because she was she was in it. Um, I wonder how she heard about that musical. But anyway, <laughs> um, and uh, Nick Blamire, who's the dude who uh, he was in Crybaby and he wrote uh, that Glory Day show. Uh, so yeah, that's our cast. Glory right Day. There. Glory, glory days, glory, glory days, glory <laughs> day. day. Yeah, yeah. It's, oh, please, please. it's really an awesome like the, the the kind of the idea of a troupe of actors mm-hmm. actually works thematically in this piece as well. So it's mm-hmm. kind of neat that not only is is the piece kind of about a troupe of people, but also it is actually kind of a, a family of people that are that are doing that in the piece. So it's, yeah, yeah, it's kind of a uh, kind of a neat tie together. It's oh yeah, it's awesome. And the and even the creative team is people that we. Simkins and I have worked with a lot, and we worked with them this summer on the show called The Black Suits at the uh, the summer play festival at the Public. Um, so it kind of feels like we're we're starting starting summer camp all over again <laughs> on Monday, and we start rehearsals. So very very excited about it. All right. So how long does the show run? Uh, we open on December sixth. We start previews on December sixth, and it mm-hmm. runs through uh, January third, and hopefully it will sell well enough that we can extend a couple of weeks past that. So I leave mm-hmm. that to. I leave that to all the all the fine people buying theater tickets out there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and things to ruin. How how long is that running? Things things to ruin. We have uh, we have a couple more dates at the the Zipper. The next shows are um, November twenty second and November twenty eighth, and we have a show tonight, which is the fourteenth of November. Well, this is going up the twenty seventh. I guess people have one uh, chance. They download it really tomorrow. quick. They can They'll have go one see chance. it tomorrow. <laughs> it's the best show of all time. Um, and then, of course, both shows will be transferring to Broadway probably in the spring. They'll play in rep. <laughs> be a huge hit. There's going to be a lot of theaters open for it. Let's yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're going to play in multiple theaters. Theater. <laughs> I love it. Is, is there a show that hasn't posted closing notice right now? There's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's tough, man. But there's always there's always new shows. Billy Elliot opens like a great big Broadway musical that's actually good, and just, I think it's like it's a it's you know it's a scary time. And then Shrek opens a great big Broadway <laughs> musical. <laughs> dot dot. dot. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I haven't know. seen I've, it yet. So. I haven't <laughs> seen it yet either. I don't know anything about it. anything about <laughs> Shrek. It looks weirdly like the movie though, right? It's like I feel like I've read so much, but oh, it's totally different. Not like the movie, but then like I saw pictures, and it's like oh. It's like the movie, except vaguely come to life. It just looks like the movie kind of on stage. But I don't know. I don't know. It's probably great. You know, you know, my, my my beef against Shrek isn't really. It's it, I, I I'm starting to feel the backlash against. 
I, I know that musical theater historically has always drawn upon other materials. So mm-hmm. so that is nothing new right, right, you know, right, right. with movies. But I really feel like, you know, with I kind of want it to flop, forgive me, because I feel like something that appears to be a safe, sure bet needs to flop for producers, I think. I, I think producers are starting to think too safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because um, it's one thing to go with a safe property and then hire a safe composer, and then everything feels safe. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sorry, Legally Blonde to me just felt safe. Mm-hmm. I know the I know the writers were capable of better, is the man from yeah. from mm-hmm. this other material mm-hmm. I've seen, and I so I felt that somewhere in that whole production process, things got watered down and and safe, and, and just for, I just kind of feel like I'd like something that looks to be a sure bet, <laughs> yeah, you know, to to fail just so that. Producers can wake up and realize that everything's not a sure bet. Let's try to make everything great. That's why I liked Billy Elliot so much is because it felt like, you know, there's a product that everybody knew. And I know it started in London and had a little bit of momentum coming here. Mm-hmm. But but th- this is a really good artistic piece that, yeah, that d- yeah. isn't isn't presented to the audience in the same way that a lot of these other Yeah, yeah. I haven't are. seen it yet, but mm-hmm. I've heard a couple of the, of the songs so far, and I'm really looking forward to seeing it. It does. It seems yeah, like it yeah. wasn't safe. That's right. It's, yeah. That's right. Which and surprises that, me because I wasn't a fan of Aida. Of right. Elton John's. Correct, right, right. correct. And the, to me, in, mm-hmm. in, in Billy Elliot, it's it's a lot of like Stephen Daldry's work, the director, oh, who, man, which I think amazing. really kind of presents the piece in a, in an abstract kind of theatrical way that, yeah, yeah. that I think theater should. So mm-hmm. that people draw their own conclusions from it rather right, than just right. have it laid so perfectly down for them. And it, yeah, and it feels like it's like a piece of theater that was created by people. I think like a lot of right. problems with these these huge musicals are just they feel like they were created by, you know, a corporation. Exactly. Or, that's by, that's my that's, that's my right. issue. It's not the things based people on movies. That's right. It's I'm table. sick of things feeling like you know, a, a big production where no mm-hmm. one cr- where it's not a creative <laughs> right. thing with people. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, nobody bled. Nobody <laughs> bled for it. Yeah, people no, bled yeah. for Billy Elliot. That's why I like it. <laughs> people bled for Billy Elliot. <laughs> This is like the biggest Billy Elliot. Question. I know. They really need our help, back, too. Back, back to rewrite. And I'm says. guessing from the songs you played that you don't seem like a songwriter that plays it safe. Um, I, I, I try not to. It's, I, I mean, I never, like, I never set out to be like, oh, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be edgy and I'm going to, you know, uh, write about crazy things. But I just sort of write what, what, what feels, feels natural to me and what I'm, what I'm drawn to. You know, it's like I have a, I, I just feel like I'm, I'm, I'm incapable of writing a, writing a good song about um, like love, you know, or about like stars. Right. And, like it's a lot of I just I don't I don't quite quite relate to what a lot of I feel like new musical theater is is being written about. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. But. Well, and not not to wax Joe's car because I'm sitting right next to him. But but uh, he writes about real people. He writes about people who don't usually have an opportunity to be written about in musicals, mm-hmm. and that's one of the reasons why I like it so much, and why I think it speaks to such a such a kind of an interesting generation of music theater goers that he just writes like people talk. And and yes, it's stylistic, and yes, it's in a it's in sometimes a universe that feels sort of parallel to ours, but it's still very real that people talk. Real and and they don't they don't um, they don't behave differently than they do in life, whatever their situation might be. So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely something that, that that I try to do, and I feel like it, that 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 particular thing sort of comes comes out of me being inspired hugely by uh, by by movies, probably even more than than musical theater. Like I'm a huge Robert Altman fan, and um, I feel like a lot of my a lot of my stuff, a lot of my songwriting, sort of comes out of that um, that idea of kind of cel- celebrating people who who are so normal that they would never, ever, ever be celebrated, you know, or that they have not, or making, but treating people, people in a special way that are special because they have nothing special about them, if that makes any sense. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So Rewrite is at mm-hmm. Urban Stages, which is www.urbanstages.org from December 6th to the January 3rd, hopefully yeah. and beyond. And uh, you got one night, if you're listening to this really quick, to hear uh, <laughs> Things to Ruin on the 28th. But as a concert, my guess is this may We'll be back. We, back. we will be back. Yeah. We will be back. Yeah. And you can find out more information about all things Joe Iconis at mm-hmm. your website, mm-hmm. which is... Mr. www.mrjoeiconis.com. Do you like telling that to people? I, I, I just seemed, when I was when it came time to buy it, I just joeiconis.com felt felt not right to me. So got a little Mr. in there. All right, John Simpkins, always a pleasure to have you on. Thank you, Michael. And Joe Iconis, thanks for stopping in and yeah, performing man. for us, and best of luck with your run. Thank you very much. On the boards. Heading into the end of its third season, Theater the Expendable is putting on Anton Chekhov's Three Sisters, uh, albeit a little bit differently than most Chekhov plays have been performed recently. Instead of a typical big cast of 14 or so actors, it's being performed with six, and the translations have been compiled from 
a slew of translations. We have the director and producer, Jesse Edward Ross Bro. Brow? Brow. Ross yeah. Brow. <laughs> Jesse Edward Ross Brow. And actor David Ian Lee here to talk about the process. And how are you guys doing? Good. I'm great. Uh, you want to introduce yourselves really quick to connect the voice with the name? That would make sense, wouldn't it? I'm Jesse. That's the guy talking right now. And uh, I'm David, the one with the easily pronounceable name. <laughs> All right. So I guess the first thing, um, why the numerous translations? Well, yeah, sure. Uh, so I assumed many, many months ago that uh, taking all of the Chekhov translations I already had on my shelf and buying a few new ones, uh, that reading through them all, I'd figure out, okay, which one is the best one here? How radical are, how radically mm-hmm. different are some of these translations? Hmm. They're pretty different. Some of them, I don't know Russian, but I know what translations like. I took Latin for eight years, studied that hard, and a few other dead languages. No living ones, but some dead ones. Uh, And I could tell after a while looking at them, okay, this one is a very literal translation. That's why it's completely unspeakable. Uh, This one is a really good semi-contemporary one for, you know, whenever it was written. But it's missing some stuff, whether uh, one of them excised a lot of uh, the most esoteric lines. It just took them out. Uh, One of them... Uh, you know, didn't do as well at translating exact words. I could see where there are probably some mistakes based on looking at, you know, four or five in front of me at the same time. Okay, everybody else translates this as, uh, this isn't really in the play, but as an example, like, uh, everybody says flower here, whether, you know, this kind of flower, another kind of flower, and this person says uh, bowl. That's obviously wrong. Uh, So there didn't seem to be a perfect translation that I could find, whether, you know, one from way back when in the common domain, which I had a bunch of in front of me, or uh, ones that I may have bought the rights for. So I put out a bunch of them and decided, okay, how can I put this into contemporary English, but, and try to stay true to the original thing, kind of trying to figure out what the Russian might have been, and then figure out, okay, how can this be said? Luckily, I knew a lot of my actors uh, going into this part of the process so I could kind of work to people's voices and then I made sure I heard all the actors say all of their lines out loud at least a couple times so anything that needed to change we got changed. Well and and one of the things that's really cool about the the adaptation you've done uh, I think is that um, there are a lot of idioms and language uh, that you're, you, you, you may not be accustomed to thinking belongs in Chekhov, and it's just a testimony to the, the amalgam that you've put together here. I was going over the script uh, yesterday, the day before, with a friend of mine who's done Three Sisters at least once, maybe twice, I don't know, and she looked up from the page and she goes, you've got obscenity in here. You've got <laughs> lots of like conjunctives and mms and ahs. It's almost like a, a, a mammoth play. There's all this stuff in here. This is this is your three sisters? I was like, yeah, I think it's great. You know, it's, it's uh, not only true to the intention of the playwright, which is always what you have to do with the translation, but it becomes immediately as an actor and hopefully as an audience for that reason accessible. It's, there's nothing more torturous than trying to perform a direct literal translation because it sounds like stereo instructions. And this sounds like language. This sounds like communication. Well, thank you. Uh, <laughs> there's another thing I noticed. Uh, one of the main things I noticed was, okay, what are the kinds of things that uh, people are trying to do a good you know, contemporary English translation? What do they take out? And one of the things I noticed a lot was verbs of uh, thinking or seeming. Uh, all of the literal ones had a lot of, uh, back then he seemed to me to be this, or uh, he looked like he was this. And usually we just say, man, that guy's awful, or boring, that guy's annoying. Uh, and I guess that is how we'd say it, but it loses some kind of critical distance. I think keeping those kind of verbs in remind the audience that all of these characters are telling their own points of view and none of them are quite as reliable and you can get that from acting anyway but I I felt like there'd be a little something missing without that so how do you get those kind of things that people don't say as often way back when and 
work them into English as people might actually speak it now. And one of the great things that you did when we were putting together the script, I mean, I had nothing to do with putting together the script, but when we went through it and you had the actors read them out loud, the lines out loud, we had a meeting, just the two of us, and we mm -hmm. read through every bit of dialogue in the show, even lines that are one word or two words long. And what was great is anything that just didn't feel right, that just didn't fit right in the mouth, it was like working on... It was almost like we're on a television show or a new play where you have the luxury of going, listen, I know that what's written here is, I do not believe that I shall go there anon. But it's just mm -hmm. easier for me to say, you know, I don't really believe I should go there. Is, is that negotiable? And, you know, mm -hmm. there were, and it was, a, it was a, a sliding scale of, well, we really should, you know, retain some um, faith to what is here, but also we got to make this fit and make this playable. So there was the, the ability and the luxury there to actually adapt the adaptation mm -hmm. once uh, the actors were in the room. Yeah, and sometimes it was about, let's keep this word here, sometimes it's yeah. about, well, if you can give that this line reading, yeah. then it's going to do the same thing even if if I hadn't told you that, those words wouldn't. Yeah, and that's a luxury you never get. You never, never get. Are there Russians doing this to Shakespeare? <laughs> you, you know, I uh, I, be. I saw a King Lear in uh, in London two years ago in Russian, and uh, followed it. Thought it was wonderful, but I'll tell you, uh, that sucker was long. <laughs> that was long, and it's just because you know I'm sure he's not King Lear. He's you know King Apoliatoli Lirovich, whatever it would be. Yeah. Well, I'm sure a lot of people in English think Lear is long too. Depends on how much yeah, of it you're doing. Well, this, this, this was real long. <laughs> <laughs> now, mm -hmm. anytime you're doing Chekhov, you know, and, and you know, Chekhov's enduring appeal, you know, like a lot of people comment that Chekhov is funnier than most people think mm -hmm. they are. And I would say there's a lot of misconceptions about Chekhov. Shakespeare, you know, is pretty much universally in the English language regarded mm -hmm. as, you know, kind of a pinnacle. And Chekhov is like, Regarded as yes, the pinnacle of playwriting, but there's a lot more divisive opinions about him yeah. in the thing. And and I would really say, I, having taken some Russian history um, back then, is there really is a significant cultural difference <laughs> between you know yeah. the the West and you know and Ru I mean Russia's really got its own thing going. It's not yeah. it's not like the Eastern or the Orient. It's not like you know the Western European. It's you know, it's this weird thing where it's its own place, but is distinctly influenced by the West, but they may interpret the in their own ways. Well, one thing about their cultural aspect that I think is really different in a, in a subtle way that may affect some of this is mm -hmm. the Russians have a regard, I think, almost for um, uh, deviousness. Hmm. Whereas we, we consider deviousness something is very low and underhand and get around. There's an admiration in, mm -hmm. in the Russian community almost for that, that devious quality in, in, in terms of history and, and how that affects. And, and I would suspect that keeping that in mind really, you know, like when we were talking before stepping in for the interview about, you know, there are some things that are kind of like bad guys but kind of not. And, mm -hmm. and I, I think this is where a lot of the archetypes that we look for as American mm -hmm. playwrights get thrown in their ear because we expect to see a certain thing, mm -hmm. but they're archetypes. Their culture is different and, they, and it's, it's grown up in a lot different way. The, the immediate challenge I've always said when, when, you're, when you're trying to produce Chekhov in uh, America specifically, but I guess, you know, English-speaking Western culture in general, trying to do it today, it's equatable to taking Woody Allen going 125 years into the future and doing it in <laughs> Cantonese. And, I mean, that's, that's the hurdle. Uh, and the, the wonderful thing that we have at our disposal here is that these characters, yes, some of the cultural idioms may be different, some of the social norms may be different, and that's what you have to explore in rehearsal and figure out, okay, it's acceptable to talk to someone like this? All right, I guess I will. Um, but what's great and what's standard is, you know, people are people. Uh, you know, human nature doesn't really change or evolve, at least not over that span of time. So the people in this play are complex and occasionally deviant, and that same character may occasionally do something that uh, borders on the divine, and I think that's the, the brilliance and the fun of the play because that's human nature. That's, that's all of us. Wow, that's deep, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what to add to that, but that pretty much gets her right there. So what was your reasoning for wanting to move this into a six-character kind of... Sure, not six-character, but six-actor. Yeah, uh, it's part of a larger thing, and I'll get to it specifically in just a few sentences. Uh, 
So my goal was, I love this script. I read it for the first time maybe eight, ten years ago. Um, adored it at the time. Uh, I've studied it in a few different classes uh, since then and looked at it on my own many other times since then. And I kept thinking, this is a great play. Let's do this. A lot of times I see Chekhov, I feel this isn't, this isn't what I've heard he is. I mean, the academic tradition of him says this is the guy who is the master of psychology. I go and see one of his plays and I think, not always, but often, <laughs> well, this is a melodrama right here. This is just, isn't this what he was making fun of? Did they not get it? Um, did they not have enough time, maybe? Um, or uh, I always hear about how funny he is, and then I go and see plays of his, and they're not very funny. This is the only one of his, uh, what people call, you know, his four mature plays that is called a drama. And yet, I think our version's going to have more jokes in it than, say, uh, most people do uh, The Seagull or The Cherry Orchard, which are the two mature ones that he called comedies. Doesn't mean this thing ends well, but there are a lot of jokes in the middle of it, just like, um, you know, a lot of great tragic writers have written jokes into things forever, uh, mm. whether, you know, back in the Greeks or we're talking about Shakespeare or a lot of people nowadays, uh, Stoppard in his serious plays, for example. Uh, so I wanted to shake things up to get back to what I thought was actually in the script, to get people to approach it new. And uh, so one of the things I want to do is shake up how people see the characters, as we were just talking about a second ago. I think people tend to see some of them as very heroic. The three sisters, well, they're in the title, plus they're all trying to get to Moscow. Those guys are great. Uh, either Vershinin or Chebatik, and sorry, uh, those, you can, two you can characters. talk about both I, my characters, I that's could, fine. but I actually meant one of them, Vershinin, oh, and then Tuzenbach, the two philosophers there. Chebatikin doesn't philosophize. He's so or not out loud. Tuzenbach, Vershinin. <laughs> ideas about, they have ideas about how the world works and how it's going to be a few hundred years from now and what happiness means and what people should do. And so, depending on what uh, any individual time and places, you know, ideas of, you know, how they link up to one or the other, one of those guys is a hero. Solioni kills some guy at the end. It's always telegraphed because Solioni is always a bad guy from the beginning, and killing some guy in a duel is terrible, so he's a bad guy. Natasha is a peasant who takes over this house and kicks everybody out, so she's a bad person. We're giving away the ending for everybody who hasn't seen the show, you know. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's all oh, ruined. Well. It's all ruined. Yeah, I, I think this play's been around for over 100 years. I think That's I can issue a few spoilers. <laughs> Luckily, it's not the very beginning of the interview. <laughs> good point, though. Um, so, <laughs> so I wanted to double some of these characters up that had, in my mind, similar character traits, even if people wouldn't think of that just off the top of their head. Uh, for example, uh, Masha and Natasha, and here I'm going to give away more things. Uh, both of them are, they're the two brashest women we see in the play, and two of the brashest characters, period, we see in the play. Uh, they both end up having affairs uh, on their husbands, and yet one of them, Masha, one of the three sisters, we always see as good. Uh, one of them, Natasha, we always see as bad, and there's some reasons for that, but there's some similarities there, too. Uh, Kaligan and Solioni. Solioni uh, being that soldier ends up killing somebody duel I talked about earlier, versus Kaligan, this very geeky school teacher who's married to Masha and who Masha cheats on. They're both people who don't end up as lucky in love as they want to be, and they're both the kind of people that when they open their mouth, the room usually just an awkward pause comes over and people don't know what to make of what they're saying. But one of them, Kaligan, we always like because he doesn't take his negative emotions out on anybody else generally, and he does some very generous stuff at the end, and Solioni kills somebody in a duel, so we hate him. I think just, not even rationally, but just by seeing the same actor portray these different characters, uh, some things from each character are going to speak to each other. We'll see different sides of how people relate to the same stuff, or similar sides that we wouldn't have expected to see, and hopefully some of, for people who know this play really well already, some of these moral judgments that uh, we've often already made or have been made for us, uh, will even allow out a little bit. These characters will rub off on each other a little bit. So, David, how did you come to get involved with the company in this production? Well, uh, as, as seems to always be the case in, in, in the world of theater, not the way that you're told it will happen in school. Uh, <laughs> it's, you know, it's such a long, odd, winding path towards everything. Uh, I met Jesse uh, about a year ago um, at a uh, kind of a little 
tiny theater convention thing, people working in the, in the off-off-Broadway world. And uh, we sat and we spoke for about five minutes about plays and about an hour and a half about movies and politics and food <laughs> we liked and, you know, just really, really kind of hit it mm-hmm. off. And um, over the past year, have been looking for opportunities to work together. Um, Jesse to come and direct something of mine or uh, me to act with Jesse. And it just never quite worked out. There was never quite the right project. And then when I heard he was doing Three Sisters, we talked about this might be a good fit. Why don't you come in and audition? Um, and then right before the audition, um, fate interceded. I, I couldn't make the audition because I was in tech for one project, and that actually kind of worked out because uh, then I got a job that was going to knock me out of the beginning of the workshop rehearsal process for Three Sisters. So we kind of went, well, all right, I guess this isn't it either. We'll, we'll figure it out somewhere along the line. And then a few months went by, and I was out of town doing that job, and I got a call or an email from Jesse. He said, hey, listen, uh, we've, we've had an opening come up. Uh, do you want to start rehearsal in two weeks to do Three Sisters? And I said, uh, sure. You know, I, uh, I didn't ask which, which character. <laughs> I don't think I knew at that point that you know, you're playing, you know, oh, you're, you're Shevatikin, you're Vashinin, you're Mr. Balloon Hands, you're Mr. Smith, you're doing, you know. <laughs> You're going to be juggling in the background. I, I, I had no idea. I just knew it was Three Sisters. And uh, said, sure. And uh, then before I came back... Were you disappointed town, when it, you weren't one of the sisters? I, I don't think <laughs> Jesse realizes yet that I'm going to be. Uh, I've got a ringer in the cast. I won't say who. Uh, and when she goes out, I plan on picking up about four or five more roles. So I'll be playing at least half of the ensemble on opening night. Um, that's a, I don't want to spoil that for you, so it'll be a surprise. Uh, I, I believe it has already been spoiled. From four or five, I'm thinking, okay, this person plays six Oh, he's six doing the math, This person yeah. plays three. Oh, no, no, no. Never, never, never make a math joke in front of someone who went to Vassar, right? That is true. So, yeah, I, I made a mistake there. No, no, I, I, uh, I, was, uh, I was flattered and I was thrilled, and it's, um, it's you know, it's, it's been a fun process so far. It's challenging. It's definitely, um, it, it's, it's very... Odd because you're melding with Chekhov the most traditional natural realism, uh, you know, internal world of acting. You're you're doing uh, the bare minimum and playing it very true and very close to the vest and very real. And then at the same time, you're watching the the other five actors stand up and change their clothes in front of you and walk around a curtain and become someone else. And you're you're trying to deny that reality and occasionally doing it yourself. You know, when we have rehearsals Mm -hmm. and you're in the middle of a scene and you're telling someone your deepest, darkest thoughts and feelings, and then you realize, I'm sitting on an invisible person right now, aren't I? I can't be here. (laughs) Can I wait a minute? But I'm talking to you. But are you Masha or Natasha? Who are you? Who, who's in this scene? What, what's going on? This is what's great about when we finally are getting into blocking these days. Yeah, and, and everything falls into place. costume pieces in place because, okay, we know you can't sit there. No, no, really, you can't sit there. Write it down. Yeah. Okay, it'll never happen again. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, it's, it's definitely a, uh, it's, it's falling into place wonderfully, but it's very much like, it's, it's, it feels less like doing a uh, standard classic of uh, Western drama as much as it feels like two new plays at the same time is what it <laughs> feels like for me because I only have two characters. I, you know, people who are playing, you know, four or five people. I don't know how. I don't know. I, I saw one of the actresses' script the other day, and it has like nine colors of highlighter <laughs> as she goes through and figures out which character she is at which point in time. I, I'm just using two. The highlighter company is indebted mm. to you for this show, Jesse. <laughs> That's a nice plug to uh, the Highlighter <laughs> Inc. company highlighter right there. Inc. Can I say that? Is that all right to say on Yeah, that's, that's all right. All right, good. <laughs> we can only hope to get sued. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so now this show opens December 4th and runs through the 21st. Uh, previews December uh, 4th and 5th, which are mm-hmm. Thursday and Friday. Official opening is uh, Saturday, December 6th. Uh, but yeah, public performances start the fourth. <laughs> Absolutely. And where is this at? Um, this is at the Dorothy Strelson Theater at the Abingdon Theater Arts Complex. Uh, so on 36th, just west of 8th. All right. And is there a website for your company that? There is indeed. Uh, Uh Theater spelled the R E way. The only way you should <laughs> spell it, I think. <laughs> There are arguments to be made for that. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Well, my all, my statement always is: ER is the building, RE is the art. That oh. seems to be how it works in this country, <laughs> usually. 
Mm-hmm. So I mean, what is it? R E if you're theater, and E R if it's a movie. So I guess we go oh. to the theatre to do the play, and then we go to the theater afterwards to go watch. I don't think anybody calls it theatre. I'm starting mm-hmm. it up. I'm Although gr- I've noticed you pronouncing some words wrong in rehearsal like no, that. It's not, I've been waiting. It's, not wrong. it's, it's, uh, theater, not it's, it's an it's an exploration of the uh, vocal apparatus. Is what it is. That's what you're going to call it. I'm pulling that out of my rear end right now. That's what that is. Okay, good enough. <laughs> this is informative for me as well. Yeah. All right. So theaterthexpendable.org, uh, December 4th to the 24th, or 21st. And David Ian Lee and Jesse Edward Ross Brow. Yep. Thanks well so much for coming by and wish you best of luck on your run. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Curtain call. All right. Well, thanks for joining us and hopping on board the Broadway Bullet once again. I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and uh, hopefully this cold is about over so I can get the interviews lined up for our next episode, second Thursday in December. Thanks so much. I'll see you then. about our brand new theater and business arts major. I know what most theater programs are like, and I've talked to thousands of artists. All of this told me that a new style of theater major was needed. Theater majors can get a pretty good arts education just about anywhere, but most programs do very little to prepare actors, directors, playwrights, technicians, producers, etc. to manage their careers. When you go into the arts, you are your own business, and you need to manage that, to strategically plan for your career to grow. If you've listened to many of these interviews, you know you need to be self-starters to create your own opportunities. I'm going to make sure you are ready for that world. You'll get a ton of opportunities as an undergraduate. Actors will act, even as freshmen. Designers will design shows right away. Playwrights will see their shows mounted. Directors will direct. Producers will handle shows from inception to execution. Outstanding guest artists will conduct workshops, and outstanding students will even work on this podcast and travel to New York with me for interview weeks. And if that isn't enough, we've got an amazing program that will pay all or part of your student loan payments, even private loans, if you are earning less than $40,000 six months after graduation. That is an invaluable option that lets you pursue your passion in theater with less financial pressure. If interested, and I hope you are, Go to broadwaybullet.com. I'd love to help you launch your career.